Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You are now tuned in to the Asian Madness Podcast. A podcast where we discuss all things true crime, mysterious, morbid, and odd from the other side of the world. I'm your host, Jessica. Please sit back, relax, and let's dive into this week's topic. Hey everybody, so today I have another promo to play for all of you. Check it out. Hello. Hello there. <laughs> I'm Georgie. I'm Kate. And we are Nothing Rhymes with Murder. Murder. Each week we hit up a new country and tell each other a true crime story from it. Usually also whilst guzzling Prosecco. Past trips have led us to the vampire of Krakow in Poland, the last witch burned in Ireland, and the boozing barber in Canada. We don't like to leave you on a downer though, so we will give you some fun hotspots to visit also. Absolutely, and you can find us wherever you get your podcasts, as well as at NRWM Podcasts on Twitter and Nothing Rhymes with Murder on Facebook and Instagram. Yeah. And remember, kids, life is a journey. Just don't let murder stop you. Okay, bye bye. Bye then. Okay, bye now. Bye 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 bye. What I love about this podcast, aside from the humor and the information, well, they also go to different countries for every single episode, but they go around the world, whereas I kind of stay in Asia and do my thing. So give them a listen and, you know, you might find something new. You definitely will. Oh, right. And one more thing before I begin. I'm currently running a contest for people to win a set of pod cards. Well, 40 podcasts got together and they made this thing called pod cards. Basically, they're trading cards that are done in podcast fashion. So I would like to thank Kate from Ignorance is Bliss for coming up with this fabulous idea and for doing all the work because she did all the work. So if you have any questions about the contest or you would like to participate, please go check out one of my social media accounts. And if you don't have access to that, feel free to email me and I will give you all the details. I hope to see your email in my inbox. Remember, the cards could be yours. Now let's get to today's episode. Pakistan, officially known as the Islamic Republic of Pakistan, is a country located in South Asia. Pakistan's neighbors include India, Afghanistan, Iran, and China. Size-wise, it is about 340,000 square miles, and population as a recent is about 201 million, making it the fifth most populous country in the world. The capital city of Pakistan is Islamabad, while the largest city is Karachi. Both English and modern standard Urdu 
a Persianized standard register of the Hindustani language, are considered the official languages. There are also many other provincial languages that are recognized and spoken in certain regions. The word Pakistan in Urdu and Persian literally translates to land of the pure, Pak meaning pure, and the suffix stan meaning land of. That probably works for all the other countries ending with stan. If you did not already know, Pakistan is an Islamic nation, and just how Islamic? This country was actually created in 1947 for the sake of Indian Muslims. Pakistan officially became an Islamic Republic in the year 1956. Over 95% of the population are Muslim. And the other few percentages include Hinduism and Christianity. Now, let's take a look at the historical side of Pakistan. Pakistan has strong historical ties to India since they were once one nation, so you might hear some resemblance to the information from the episode on Jessica Lal. A lot of ancient human civilizations originated from the area we now know as Pakistan, which includes the Indus Valley Civilization. Like India, this area also went through the Vedic period from around 1500 to 500 BCE. This was when the first Hindu scriptures were composed, and the culture also became important to this region in later days. Many other empires and kingdoms ruled present-day Pakistan back in the days, including the Achaemenid Empire, Alexander the Great's Empire, the Maruya Empire, and by Ashoka the Great. During the last two centuries of BCE was the Indo-Greek Kingdom, a Hellenistic kingdom that had 30 kings in the span of two centuries. There was a lot of conflict, as you can imagine. One of the earliest universities for higher education was also discovered to be from this area, complete with monasteries, dormitories, and lecture halls. One of the major provinces in present-day Pakistan is Sindh, and those that ruled this area were all Buddhist dynasties, up until Muhammad bin Qasim, an Arab conqueror who took over in 711 CE. This would be the start of the official Pakistani foundation, according to the government. Islam spread throughout the region starting around 642, converting people from Buddhism and Hinduism to Islam. This conversion was very successful and gave way to many Islamic empires, including the Ghaznavid Empire, the Ghurid Kingdom, the Delhi Sultanate, and the Mughal Empire. It was during the Mughal Empire that Persian literature was introduced, which created the Indo-Persian culture in this area. This culture was active, but the Mughal Empire began declining as the Europeans began to take over, more specifically, the British, the English East India Company. England pretty much took control of land, resources, established outposts, etc. Most of the region was under British rule by 1820, and they also began to reform the local education systems and culture. Yeah, reforming people's culture. That really bugs me. It's like going into somebody else's house and basically telling them, oh, your way of life is backwards and wrong. A rebellion against the British occurred in 1857 called the Sepoy Mutiny, and at the same time, there were major conflicts going on between Hinduism and Islam. Things were chaotic to say the least. 
Sir Syed Ahmad Khan created the All India Muslim League in 1901, and as the name might hint, it supports the two-nation theory, which is a separation of Hinduism and Islam as nations. While the Indian National Congress was anti-British, the Muslim League was pro-British, and this would somewhat reflect in Pakistan's future society. The Muslim League won elections in 1946, which meant the creation of the nation we now know as Pakistan. But at the time, there was West Pakistan and East Pakistan, present-day Bangladesh. As the British agreed to end their rule, they also made the move to draw the line. Called the Radcliffe Line, carving out Pakistan and Bangladesh. The time that followed created a lot of chaos, such as genocide and abductions and torture between the two religions. The largest human mass migration occurred in this area, where 6.5 million Muslims moved from India to Pakistan, and 4.7 million Hindus moved from Pakistan to India. Isn't that interesting? Pakistan adopted the presidential system in 1962 and held its first democratic elections in 1970. Things did not go as planned while trying to transition from military rule to democracy, and the civil war broke out, mostly between the Bangladesh Awami League and the Pakistan People's Party. East Pakistan surrendered in 1971, and it became Bangladesh, ending the Bangladesh Liberation War. Pakistan became one of the fastest-growing economies in South Asia during the following years, which included the building of a nuclear program. The country kind of stopped moving forward beginning in 1988 due to the two political parties constantly fighting each other. To this day, Pakistan has spent up to 118 billion U.S. dollars by being involved with the war on terrorism. Which also includes thousands of casualties and millions of displaced civilians. The current prime minister of Pakistan is Imran Khan, who was elected earlier this year. So, moving on to lighter topics, Pakistan is home to a variety of wildlife and has a diverse climate. In the northern highlands of Pakistan, you can find some of the world's highest peaks, including K2, the second highest mountain on Earth. If mountains aren't your thing, you can also check out the Katpana Desert, the world's highest cold desert. With the different climates and landscapes, you can expect to find many species and plants, trees, and animals. If the wildlife isn't your thing, there's also tons of old civilizations for you to check out. Oh, and just so you know, Pakistan has the eighth largest armed forces in the world. Established the second they became an independent nation in 1947. I know, a lot was confusing and overlapped with the history of India. They were one nation before, so I tried to put more focus on the area we now know as Pakistan instead of India as a whole. Anyway, I did not do justice to the history of Pakistan or any other nation really. It's really extensive. So while researching this case. I have to admit, I got slightly teary-eyed and slightly emotional. This is not an episode on a single person, but a group of people, and other cases like it. I'm very sad to say, but this episode is going to be mostly about children abused sexually and also children being raped and murdered. 
I understand that this is not for everyone, so feel free to skip it if need be. But note, this is a very serious problem, and it's probably happening in many places all over the world. But this just happened to be one of the biggest scandals in the history of Pakistan. It's not that I enjoy making everybody uncomfortable, but not talking about it doesn't make it go away. I wish shit like this didn't happen, but I don't get to make decisions like this. This is the case of the 2006-2014 Kasur children's sexual abuse scandal. And not directly related, but on the same page, the rape and murder of a 7-year-old girl from the same region. Note that there are two parts to this. You're listening to part 1, and part 2 will drop next Friday. The Kasur child sexual abuse scandal took place in the village of Hussein Kawala, in the Kasur district, located in the Punjab district between 2006 to 2014. It's a relatively impoverished village, and people do what they can to get by. Of course, there will always be a family or two that control most of the village and land, and in this case, it would be the Shirazi family. Before I dive any deeper into the details about this family and why they have anything to do with this case, Let's hear about what happened to the victimized children. Kamran was a 17-year-old boy at the time of his attack. He was walking in his village and just happened to walk by the Shirazi mansion, when suddenly two men jumped out, grabbed him, and dragged him inside. Immediately, they drugged him by injecting him with unknown substances, fed him pills, and once he was too groggy to fight back, the men began to rape the boy. As if that wasn't bad enough, they were filming it. He was beaten and they let him go, but they made sure to threaten and blackmail him. If he did not bring them money, they will leak the video and the whole village will know. If he dares tell anyone, they will leak the video as well. Wasim was a 10-year-old boy at the time. He was on his way to school when he was kidnapped. He was raped by a few men in the fields. Once it was over, the men showed him video footage of the rape and threatened him not to tell anyone. Wasim's immediate thought upon seeing the video was, I should drink poison and kill myself. He was raped on a daily basis, and sometimes he would see the strange men who raped him give money to the people who washed over the rape. He even heard his kidnapper and abuser discuss selling these videos. Wasim had dreams of studying graphic design, but once the scandals came to light, he dropped out of school and ran away. These things don't just go away. He did not receive help afterwards and was unable to cope and understand the situation. Ahmed was 13 years old at the time of the attack. He was also kidnapped and raped on a daily basis. He continued going to school until he couldn't take it anymore and finally dropped out. His family found out what had happened and reported it to the police. But the police refused to take the case. The Shirazi family was very rich and very powerful. The poor did not stand a chance against them. Unfair? Oh, definitely. Note these children were not kidnapped for a long period of time. They were taken for an hour or two, then let go. The abusers would take advantage of their innocence and their fear, threatening them, which meant their secret was safe, 
and the children would continue to return in fear of the videos being leaked. If this isn't pure evil, I don't know what is. Imran, a 13-year-old boy at the time, was taken on his way home from school. Like the other boys, he was taken to the Shirazi mansion and was raped by multiple men. They threatened his life, told him not to tell anyone, and also told him that he had to obey them. He was to come over whenever they told him to come. Imran would be tortured as well, being hung from his arms and shoulders and lowered into a well. Not surprisingly, Imran stopped going to school. He felt uncomfortable and ashamed. He didn't know how to be around others anymore. Walid was 10 years old. An older boy took him to the Shirazi mansion, and when they got there, three men appeared and began to torture, abuse, and rape him. Of course, everything was also filmed. They told the boy to smile at the camera, because if he did not do as he was told, they would have to start all over again. So basically, it was up to him. He desperately wanted to stop going to school, but he knew the importance of school and how it could help him in the future. So he continued going. How do these stories make you feel? Does it make you sad? Or angry? Do these stories break your heart? Well, it should. No matter what, children should be taken care of. They should be protected and not have to experience these traumatizing situations. So how did the families and everybody else finally learn about what's been going on? Well, videos did eventually leak, and that's when adults began realizing what was happening and parents finally understood why their children were acting strange. Of course, their first reaction was to seek help from the police and the government officials. These people were poor. They did not have the means or the resources to do anything else. It's instinctual to want to run to the officials. Unfortunately, their reports were mostly ignored. They either victim-blamed or told them they would look into it, but of course, they did not. The Shirazi family was rich and powerful in the area. Even the police knew better than to mess with them. Plus, where's the proof? And even if there was proof, they would probably spin it some other way to fit their narrative. A non-government organization called Sahil caught wind of these allegations and stepped up. This organization's aim was to protect children, and their mission, as stated on their website, is to develop a protective environment for children free from all forms of violence, especially child sexual abuse. They would go around the country offering pro bono counseling and sessions to school children, helping kids learn, identify, and report any kind of sexual abuse. The executive director of Sahil explained that identifying sexual abuse is very difficult because it's considered a hidden crime, as in you can't see it, unlike physical abuse where you see the bruises. I'm sure you've noticed by now, but pretty much all the victims from this sex abuse scandal are boys. She goes on to explain that boys are likelier targets for sexual abuse because they are somewhat less protected compared to girls. Girls are watched and protected or given curfews, but boys are generally free to wander around and do whatever they want. Also, boys are less likely to report it. Society tells you this is not a manly thing to do. A boy or a man cannot be raped. 
Plus, this looks bad. And the sex between two men is even worse and pretty much illegal. It's shameful and horrible and people will not accept you afterwards. I can completely understand why these children would not want to tell their families what happened to them. I probably wouldn't want to either. After Sahil began looking into this and speaking to the victims and their families, word began to spread of the allegations and people began to get involved. The Shirazi family, of course, hired a lawyer immediately. During the whole investigation, the media focused mainly on the children and their families, calling out the officials and police for protecting the Shirazi family. But what does that do? Honestly, at the time, it did very little. The lawyer for the Shirazi family was mostly ignored by the press, and when he was finally interviewed, this is what he had to say. Surely it was a group of merrymaking boys. They indulge in this behavior as a, say, player. And then they prepared the photos also of their behavior, willingly, not under compulsion. Everybody's mind is prejudiced. Say that those persons who are distantly located, even they get the information from the press, and then they feel prejudice, and they then they tailor the stories. This has happened. How brutality has been committed? How children are being abused? How people are cruel, etc., etc. And then the story went on. If you had difficulty understanding, this is what he said. Actually, it was a group of merrymaking boys. They indulged in this behavior for pleasure, and then they prepared photos for their behavior, willingly, not under compulsion. Everybody's mind is prejudiced. Those persons who are distantly located, they get their information from the press and they feel prejudiced. And they tailor the stories that this has happened, how brutality has been committed, how children are being abused how people are cruel. Okay, if the statement above did not make you sort of mad or emotional, we cannot be friends. Just kidding. But come on, for real. The lawyer was basically saying that these kids all went to the Shirazi mansion voluntarily, engaged in sex acts and filming all voluntarily. He used the word merrymaking and indulged in this behavior for pleasure. The word gross would be perfect right now. I don't even know how he can say all this without feeling any sense of guilt. Or he really believes this, which I doubt. What do you think? An activist by the name of Mobin Ghaznavi began to make organized protest, and he also began to look deeper into the situation. He condemned the police in public, saying that they are basically pimps for the Shirazi family. The number of children abused had climbed up to almost 300, all between the ages of 5 to their late teens, according to testimonies from the children. He brought so much attention to this investigation that police were forced to make an arrest. In July of 2015, they arrested seven people from the Shirazi family. It was clear that they only arrested these people to appease the public because they were all released 10 days later. The police made a statement as well, saying that the number 284 is hearsay and baseless, completely formed by people's imagination. 
I know, sure, the numbers might be hard to prove, but you really can't say that it's all people's imagination. Not to the public, at least. It's rude, insensitive, and irresponsible. In our society and to our knowledge, none of this should be acceptable or should even happen. It's unfortunate so many people still have to put up with so much injustice and neglect on a daily basis. Activist Mobin Ghaznavi was not done either. He immediately held a press conference asking for the government to stand up and help the families. He asked for justice to be served. He explained that no one was looking for violence, that they wanted to resolve this peacefully. But if the families and victims are not granted justice, then things might turn violent. A peaceful protest was held, but when the police stormed into the local mosque and began beating the local imam, protesters turned violent. Remember, Pakistan is a Muslim nation. It is very disrespectful to beat anyone randomly, but beating a religious leader? Get out of here, man. The protest, though, did bring about more action from the police. An independent joint investigation team, also called the JIT, was formed the following day to investigate all the sexual abuse allegations. The seven men were rearrested, and 13 other family members and acquaintances were also taken in for questioning. Can you imagine the victims and their family members going through this? Imagine a parent having to hear the lawyer say how your 10-year-old boy was engaging in sex voluntarily, and that he wanted to be filmed. Sorry, but fuck you. Of course, the point of view I'm coming from in this episode might more or less be one-sided, mostly from the victim's side because, of course. So I found an interview with the two cousins of the main accused. They did not deny that the incident took place, but they did make it sound less serious than it actually was. Out of the 20 people arrested, they personally believe only 5 are truly involved, and their names are the main perp, Haseem Amir, Ali Faizan, Abdul Manan, Usman Khalid, and Faizan Majid. I suppose at this point it would be very silly to deny the existence of the scandal. Thank you for tuning in to the first part of this disgusting story that involves one too many children. I'll be back next week for part two, where you'll hear about the aftermath of the sexual abuse scandal and a separate crime committed against other children. Same shit, different day, different people. Till next week. Thank you for tuning in to the Asian Madness podcast. Please help me by rating, reviewing this podcast. If you're on social media, please look for me under the handle Asian Madness Pod. If you have any comments or suggestions, do not hesitate to write me at asianmadnesspod at gmail.com. I truly appreciate each and every one of you for being here. I am your host, Jessica. Till next time. <laughs>